The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Maria turned over all of these text messages. She never claimed I didn't send them. It wasn't me. Um, she never said those pictures aren't, aren't of me. You know, she answered all of these questions about what she was doing and why she was here. And I think the, the, the division I've seen in terms of interpretation is sort of twofold. You know, someone might say, Maria Butina infiltrated the NRA. Bob Driscoll would say, Maria Butina joined the NRA. She paid her dues like any other person who joins the NRA. You know, Maria would say that uh, she wasn't acting as an agent of torsion. She was simply doing a favor for a personal friend. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, May 18th, 2021. You remember Maria Butina. She was the Russian graduate student at American University, gun enthusiast who was arrested for being an unregistered foreign agent shortly after the Russian electoral interference scandal broke. She eventually pled guilty to a lesser charge, served her time, and was deported back to Russia. She is now the subject of a six-part podcast series by Celia Anaskovich called Spy Affair. Celia Anaskovich joined me in the virtual jungle studio with one of the other subjects of that series, Pete Strzok, the former FBI agent, to discuss Maria Butina, who she was, the investigation of her, and how it all fit into Russia's plans in the period around Donald Trump's election. It's the Lawfare Podcast, May 18th. Celia Anaskovich and Pete Strzok talk spy affair. So, Celia, get us started. How did you have the idea of doing a narrative true crime podcast about Maria Butina? Yeah, so, you know, I am a uh, documentary producer and director by trade. I don't normally do podcasts, um, but I am, uh, you know, it's worth saying first and foremost, a storyteller as opposed to, say, a journalist, um, which I think is journalists are, are most of, of, of who you hear on podcasts. Um, and I, it, it's, a, it's a funny story that I like to tell because uh, I had a, a dear friend and colleague who called me one day while she was essentially in labor pains with her son, Miles, and said, I just read this article. There's this woman named Maria. I think you'd be really interested in her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was right. She was spot on. I'm, I'm always interested in, in complicated human stories. That's sort of what I've uh, spent a career telling. Um, and she, you know, went on to the hospital to give birth to her lovely son, Miles. Uh, and, I, and I drove down to Virginia to meet Maria. And that was uh, sort of the, the beginning of it. You know, I, I went to Virginia to meet Maria in prison with the knowledge that I might leave saying there's no story here. I might leave saying this isn't a story I want to tell. But as I've said before, you know, I, I got to the prison with a lot of questions and I left with even more questions. Um, and so I was certainly intrigued to understand a little bit more uh, about her. The Most of the reporting I'd seen up until that point didn't really have to do with who who Maria Butina was, is. And I was interested in trying to find out more about that. So the 
podcast, which for those of you who have not listened to it yet, is called Spy Affair and is a production of Wondery, has been kind of all over the charts uh, on Apple Podcast. It has done spectacularly well. And it is oriented around this question that you posed, who is Maria Butina, really? And I guess my question to you is, why is that the framing question? Most people, to the extent that they know who she is, have an understanding of her as a kind of ancillary figure in the Russian attempt to interfere with the U.S. elections uh, or with U.S. politics more generally. Why do you have a big question in your mind as to who she really is? You know, it's an excellent question. And and I, you know, should start by saying, too, that I, I approach most of the stories that I tell with a with a question in mind. And it, it was interesting trying to figure out what the question was going to be here. Um, because I think for most people, the question and the question they want an answer to, um, that I probably frustratingly in the podcast don't always give a lot of answers, is, is Maria Butina a spy? Um, and I think Pete, you know, said it so aptly in, in his interview, you know, Maria Butina was not charged with espionage. So starting with that question, I felt sort of discounted a larger story that we needed to look into. And so for me, the question of who is Maria Butina is about more than, you know, what she did or didn't do in terms of spy fare and has to do with what kind of person is Maria Butina? Who is Maria Butina as an individual, as a Russian how is who that the answer to that question important to us as Americans? Even if you think, you know, this story is just oh, it's it's a it's a woman who infiltrated the elections or or didn't infiltrate the elections. If you think she didn't, but you know, this is just this is another Russiagate thing. This doesn't this doesn't matter to me. The question of who is Maria Butina to me was a larger question that hopefully spoke to why Maria's story should matter and what happened should matter and 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 why. We need to take a closer look at some of these these stories and and take a look at you know the reporting that's been done, the reporting that hasn't been done, and try to figure out what happened here um, so that we can we can learn from it. We can hopefully you know not be in similar situations again. So the Pete Celia refers to is Pete Strzok, who is a familiar uh, figure to Lawfare listeners. Pete. Do you have a firm answer to the question, who is Maria Butina? I think it depends on the context that you ask that question. I think I have a pretty firm answer in terms of how she was used by various Russian interests, particularly relating to Russian government interests. I don't think I have an exhaustive list of that, and I certainly don't think I could speak to her varied internal motivations and goals to what and why she did. So as a counterintelligence professional, I think I could give you a pretty definitive answer about how she was used in the context of the government of Russia trying to achieve things. We tend to try and put labels on, you know, reduce people to their function and what they did. But if you step back from that and say, well, what drove her? What were the various things that made her animated her, I, I don't think I could give you a complete answer. And that's why, you know, what Celia did in, in the podcast is so interesting because every every one of these people that we tend to throw around the names for whether it's 2016 or whatever, they're lives and people behind that. And as a case agent, you get to know it. But when you're reading about it in the paper, talking about it academically, you usually gloss over that. And it's easy to forget that the complex dynamic that every single person has in their life is no different from any of these people. And certainly in Maria's case, you know, she's, she's far from a simple person. All right. So we've got a lot on the table here and let's break it down. Pete, when you say as a counterintelligence professional, with respect to the question of how she was used by Russian government interests, you can give an answer to who she was. Let's start with that answer and then discuss why that answer may be inadequate for Celia's purpose. So from that point of view, Pete, who is Maria Butina? 
So I think the best way to think about Maria from a counterintelligence perspective is as an access agent. And that needs a little bit of explanation. When people think about spies, they usually think of one of two things. One is a professional who is trained by his nation, a CIA case officer, an SVR officer, an MSS officer, who are out collecting intelligence, recruiting people, gathering denied information um, in, in one way, shape, or form. The other person they tend to think of when they think about a spy is somebody who's been recruited, somebody like Robert Hansen or Aldrich James, somebody who is within a foreign intelligence service or certainly a foreign government who is clandestinely being run and operated by that opposing intelligence officer, acting at their bidding, collecting what they're directed to collect, getting paid frequently. But that's the small, tiny percentage of what makes up the world of intelligence. The huge bulk of intelligence activity are made up of people who are neither these really highly placed recruitments nor the, the professional intelligence officers who are running them. Most people are agents. I'm not talking FBI agents. I'm talking agents, human sources who do a variety of things. They might be a desk clerk at a hotel. They might be, uh, <laughs> they might be an academic at a think tank. Watch it, Pete. Exactly. I'm going to you know, get you fired before we're done with this. But they provide a subset of information, and frequently they will do other things as well. They might be able to place an opinion piece in a newspaper. They might be able to broker introductions to people. And that in particular starts to kind of narrow down into what the function of what Butina provided for the government of Russia. It wasn't so much necessarily that she had been trained by the SVR or the FSB or anybody else as an intelligence officer or had any sort of formal association, but simply the fact that as a person who is able to go into a foreign setting, into a setting of interest to the Russian government, make connections, bring people and invite them to Russia, bring people into the US and make introductions to folks that were of interest, that made her a valuable commodity. In the hands of an intelligence officer, having somebody who can say, hey, I want to introduce you to these people that are connected to the NRA. Hey, I want to introduce you to, the, to Don Jr. at this speech. Merely having somebody to make those introductions is an extraordinarily valuable thing for an intelligence officer. And that, I think, is, is really the best way, in my opinion, to think about what it was that Bettina was doing here in the United States for, for various Russian entities. Cecilia, why is that not an adequate answer to the who is Maria question? Well, first of all, that is one answer to the who is Maria Butina question. I think part of what we showed in, in the podcast is that lots of people have lots of different answers to that question. And as someone who is interested in, you know, Pete was talking earlier about, you know, not necessarily knowing what her motivations were or what the reasons were. I am, as a storyteller, interested in motivations and reasons. I'm interested in understanding the human being. And so I was interested in trying to learn through the people that investigated Maria, knew Maria, more than what I could find in indictments, more than what I could find on pieces of paper. You know, I also know that there are, are files that I cannot see and will never be able to see. It's part of what is so difficult about this case for, for you know, someone trying to, to look into it from the outside. And so I think, you know, to say that it's not enough isn't isn't quite how I feel about it. it. It's more to say that is that is one answer to the question, and I think it's a an excellent answer, and it's part of the reason we interviewed Pete in the in the podcast. But I think there are lots of answers to look at, and and I I was not interested in relitigating Maria's case in this podcast. That was not the purpose of the podcast, and I am not a lawyer, but I was interested in in getting to know and think about who this person was and motivations behind them. And, and I don't know that I've cracked, at least for myself, all of those answers. I don't know that I've gotten to a place, even after two years of talking to Maria Butina, you know, she, she is, she's difficult. Um, she's, she's enigmatic. She's not someone that I feel like I have uh, figured out. And, you know, that sort of level of uh, human nature question isn't, you know, isn't the job of a lawyer. It isn't Pete's job. It's, you know, but as a storyteller and as someone who tries to understand people as three-dimensional 
human beings, that's sort of my job. And so I, you know, I also wanted to create a podcast and I hope we did where lots of people could share lots of varying opinions. I always sort of joke that the idea that any of the, we could ever assemble all of the people that were in this podcast and put them in one physical room. I I don't think that could ever happen, but to get to hear them all together, you know, I think I was, I was there as a conduit, but I was not there to endorse any one opinion. I, I more wanted to the players of this story to share their varying thoughts and let people, you know, think about it. And, and I know for some people that is infuriating because I, I didn't give them a nice tidy bow at the end. Um, but I think I wouldn't have been responsible if I did. So one of the things about the podcast that seems to me so interesting and specifically with reference to this question, is that the facts do not seem, broadly speaking, in dispute. That is, there is no question that Maria Butina came here having started a gun rights group in Russia with the kind of patronage of Alexander Torshin, who is, of course, a uh, figure close to Putin and the Russian power elite, that she was in pretty constant communication with him, including taking direction from him on key matters of her activity. She came here, uh, yes, to go to school, but also to create links with uh, American conservative and gun rights movements. She did that. She organized a bunch of things. There doesn't seem to be basic dispute about any of these facts, nor does she contest that she wrote the various text messages that constitute it. And yet there is a sense in which she contends to have been wholly misunderstood. And her lawyer, Bob Driscoll, you know, talks about this in the language of some great injustice. And so I guess I'm trying to figure out where the dispute really lies when i listen to driscoll on the on your podcast he seems to not really be disputing that she did these things but just objecting to the fact that the law criminalizing them is is still on the books she seems to think she's completely misunderstood and she didn't do anything wrong how do you understand celia the relationship between a whole lot of uncontested facts on the one hand and a kind of profound sense where I think if she heard Pete's characterization of her, she would say, no, I wasn't an an agent of influence or I was just a person going to school trying to uh, make contacts and I believe in peace. Yeah, you know, look, and I I don't want to speak for Bob Driscoll or for Maria. Um, They they can speak for themselves. But I think think you're right to start with the fact that I don't think anyone disputes the facts here, um, which is a really interesting place to start. You know, I, I think Maria turned over all of these text messages. She never claimed I didn't send them. It wasn't me. Um, she never said those pictures aren't aren't of me. You know, she answered all of these questions about what she was doing and why she was here. And I think the 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 division I've seen in terms of interpretation is sort of twofold. You know, someone might say Maria Butina infiltrated the NRA. Bob Driscoll would say Maria Butina joined the NRA. She paid her dues like any other person who joins the NRA. You know, Maria would say that uh, she wasn't acting as an agent of torsion. She was simply doing a favor for a personal friend. You know, someone else might say you can't ignore the fact that Maria is Russian and Bob Driscoll might say, okay, but if she was French, would we consider her the same as we do because she's Russian? And just laying out these things, you know, there's also, you, you talked about the law itself and whether the law itself is too vague. You know, that's something that Bob Driscoll brings up in the podcast, that the law itself opens us up to a slippery slope of imprisoning people for ideas that we don't like. Again, I'm I'm not a lawyer, um, but I think these are these are where I've seen from the people that I interviewed the different interpretations. Carrie Johnson, who writes for NPR, uh, was a fascinating person to interview because she was probably the closest person to me in the story, uh, in that she was trying to, as a journalist, 
make sense of this. And, and one of the things she says is the way she always felt about Maria was that this wasn't a simple paperwork violation. This wasn't simply, I forgot to register as a foreign agent. But equally, she felt as though it wasn't this grand femme fatale, you know, spy affair, for lack of a better way to describe it. I worked on the TV show, The Americans, that it, it wasn't that. And I think one of the things we talked about with Pete, which was really interesting and for people that, you know, aren't counterintelligence experts for a living, maybe can't understand or, or don't know the details of is an intelligence operation versus an influence operation. And that was really enlightening for me because I think when we hear the word spy, and actually I was, I'm not sure that I'm super happy with what we ended up calling the podcast, um, but you know, there are, there are better people in marketing and analytics than me that know the reasons. But I think the word spy is difficult because I think it's easy to say, well, Maria wasn't a spy. Okay, but how do you define the word spy? Was she something that falls under a category that, that you know, as the Hollywood mu- movie viewing public, we don't see as the word spy? And is there a more nuanced understanding there? And so I think that was part of what we had to unpack in this. We had to unpack the preconceived notions of what a spy is based on everything we've seen in TV. You know, one of the issues that I brought up in the podcast that was really important to me that that almost has nothing to do with with what we're talking about now almost nothing to do with you know the the sort of did she or didn't she but is is when the prosecution brought forward this idea that she traded sex for information and you know the judge said i had to look at this case for 5 minutes to know that that this was a joke and you know as a as a woman who who tells a lot of what we now call true crime stories um, in a sphere uh, that is highly male dominated, it's fascinating to me. And I know I've strayed a little bit from your question, but it's fascinating to me that when you ask people, hey, do you remember Maria Butina? The average person on the street will say, oh yeah, that woman who slept with all those old guys, right? And that's what we remember about Maria. We don't remember, you know, she potentially infiltrated an election. She potentially messed with democracy. We remember, oh yeah, she slept with all those old guys. Part of this to come back around to your question is, is I think, you know, the answer to this question is nuanced for me because I think it has to be nuanced in order to be responsible about telling this story and to get to a place where we can learn something from it. We we have to think through all of the different viewpoints and all of the different interpretations and motivations. And again, why this is so hard for me to answer the question, who is Maria Butina is we never know what's in someone's head. I, I don't know what's in Maria's head. I don't know what's in any of your heads. I don't know what the motivations behind these acts were. All right. So I I want to propose my own answer, the synthetic answer to the question of who is Maria Butina. But before I do, Pete, there are a few things that Celia just said that I want to get your reaction to. The first is she said, you know, Celia worked on the Americans and says, you know, she's definitely not that. She's not a spy in that sense. Uh, the Americans is based on a case that you actually worked on in real life, the so-called illegals case. And there's an interesting tie-in here, which is that when Maria goes back to Russia, she relatively quickly ends up in a selfie with Anna Chapman, who is in fact one of the illegals from the Americans case. So I am just interested in your in your thoughts on the relationship between these two cases. Do you agree with Celia that these, whatever Maria was, she was not Anna Chapman, or is it more complicated than that? So I want to be careful not to firmly commit to saying something is or isn't the case, because that's wouldn't be appropriate to do that. Uh, let me just say, I think it is, I, I almost completely agree with everything Celia said just now. I do think there's a distinction to be made between what the charging documents um, lay out about Butina and what we know about Chapman. And I would even hedge that. Chapman was kind of like an illegal light. She was not 
you know, when you think of the classic illegals, they're here under assumed identities, not even Russian nationalities, and they go through a much more longer, rigorous training and backstopping than Chapman had. And there's some indication that Chapman maybe took advantage of um, some familial ties to kind of get ahead. Uh, but setting that aside, you know, I see a lot of what Butina did after her return to Russia as a variety of actors with a variety of motivations. I think it was in the Russian government's interest to make her into a cause celeb because she could run around and talk about the evils of the American penal system and how badly she was treated and how wonderful Russia is. And she could be a little cheeky and partner up with Anna Chapman as having overcome these dastardly Americans and their, their terrible jail cells and then go give Navalny a rough time about how he should shut up. And it's nicer than most, you know, spas in her hometown in Siberia. But uh, you know, does that serve a Russian government interest? Yes. Does that serve Maria's interest independent of any government sort of interest? Sure. I mean, she is ambitious. And, I, you know, what I particularly, I, I like what Cecilia said that, you know, they, the you, you can't, anytime you try and define somebody through one particular lens, you inevitably lose the complexity of the real total story. So, but that's my short answer about Maria and Anna, in my opinion. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Also, just to, to jump in on that photo, um, I don't know if you guys know, but she, Maria took that photo with Anna Chapman, posted on her Instagram, and then deleted the photo. Uh, and I said to Maria, why did, why did you post this photo and why did you delete it? And I said, that's a little bit concerning. And she said, you should be concerned by that. You know, Mar Maria likes to stir the pot as well. And I think, you know, Pete just touched on it, but everything that's happened since Maria went back to Russia is particularly fascinating to me because the Maria I talk to, and, and you hear this in the final episode of Spy Affair, she starts to say to me, you sound like the FBI. You sound like, you know, you should join the FBI. You'd be really good at it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think she she became when she was the last conversation we had when she was in America, she said, I'm going to go back to Russia and live a quiet life in Siberia with my family and maybe become a teacher. And that's obviously not what Maria Butina has done. Um, and so I think, you know, to what Peter said, is she you know, is the government using her? Absolutely. You know, is, is this something that Maria is using? You know, I, I've said all the time, I think Maria's driving force, if there's any driving force I've seen in Maria, it's a desire to be famous. I mean, that is something that drives everything she does. And so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised and not surprised. Yeah. And, and so Ben, I want to kind of hijack the questioning and, and ask both of you, um, because I think you both see, but when I look at all this, I sit there and say, all these things can be consistent with one another. You know, she can be acting to help out the government of Russia in achieving these things. She can be independently ambitious. She can be pursuing any number of, you know, whether they're romantic or utilitarian relationships, who knows. But all these things can exist, at least in my mind, together and are consistent with one another. And Celia, I think that's the, the image you present in the podcast. But what always amazed me and still to this day amazes me is there are people out there who can't do that. And even the character, the people you were interviewing in your story who said, oh no, you know, the attorney, she's not that. Or, you know, Byrne insisting she had to be something and, and not the other. And I don't understand why what seems to me a very logical understanding of humans and the complexity of human nature and all the variety of motivations that go into a particular person, why some folks can't accept that. And I don't understand that because you know, most everybody you talk to are pretty bright. Um, you know, they're not, they're not naive dummies. And, and so that was just, that was a very odd thing for me to listen to, to people talk about that. 
So this actually brings me to my own synthetic view of Maria, which comes from having listened to everybody on the podcast and also having thought a bit about her post-return to Russia activities, which is, it seems to me that there is a through line here on which she is very, very consistent, which is she wants to be a prominent and famous player by helping her government both in a immediate propaganda sense, but also in a in an ideological sense. And so when she is a young student, she comes here and forms ties between Russian officialdom and the NRA. Uh, she brings NRA people to be wined and dined in, in Moscow. She makes ties to Republican elites, including, you know, basically everybody she can get to. And along the way, she is making herself indispensable to people and helping her government with some of its own uh, objectives, both overt and and uh, a little bit more clandestine. When she returns to Russia, her her anonymity is blown, of course. And so she basically turns around and does the same thing in public, which is to say she has a TV show or a, a live stream show, and she does these kind of cheeky public relations stunts. Uh, it seems to me the through line is promoting herself, making a player out of herself by being of assistance to the propaganda lines that that. Putin and his coterie are promoting. I'm curious, Celia, whether you find that compelling as a as a sort of synthetic account of who she is. I find all the answers to who she is compelling, <laughs> um, but perhaps that's a by virtue of what I do for a living. Um, I, I do actually one one of the answers that stuck out to me the most was Alexa Nikolau, Lisa Nikolau, who was conned by Paul Erickson's daughter, who said Maria. Maria took advantage of people and was taken advantage of by people. I think what's missing in what you just said to me that is still a question mark for me is twofold. One, which I find really interesting and and we did not really include in the podcast because when I fact-checked this with Maria, she disagreed. She said she did not do that. But the Nikolaus told me that when Maria was in America, she was constantly bad-mouthing Putin that she was constantly talking about how much she didn't like Putin, which is very interesting to me and, and can be interpreted in a variety of ways as to whether that was true or not. But Maria said, no, I, I didn't do that. I didn't have, one of the things was that the Nikolaus said she had a, a phone case uh, with Putin on it, on the head of Dobby the Elf from Harry Potter. Which is <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, yeah, a bizarre. Um, but again, Maria says, no, that's absolutely not true. So you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you believe that? Do you not believe that? Uh, it seems like a hard story to make up, but, um, you know, we didn't include it because Maria said, no, that's not true. And, and we get, give people the right of right of reply in, in this podcast. Um, and we didn't include things we couldn't fact check a number of times. We had great fact checkers on this. It was, it was a hard series to fact check. But I think the area of her going back to Russia now and the way Maria is acting now I also, and, and Pete, I'd love to get your take on this because as not a not a Russian <laughs> Russia expert, you know, Bob Driscoll said to me once that he said to her, look, if you go back to Russia and I see you bad-mouthing me on Russian TV, I'll understand you're a Russian now. And so I wonder, having looked at how Russians operate and how they handle assets and agents how much when you look at Maria back in Russia, you see someone who's being handled by Russians and how much you see as the Maria you saw when she was in America? I think I see her existing in the context of how you have to behave if you want to be if you want to be a public figure talking about anything coming close to political matters in Russia. If you're going to do that, and you know, there's certainly a role for that. I mean, you know, as you, Ben, you mentioned Anna Chapman, you know, started doing media things. Andrea Bezerkov, who was Don Heathfield um, in, in Boston, when the illegals is, you know, occasional commentator on, um, on Russian television shows. So I think if you want to go back and you want to be in the limelight and the public eye, and if you want to be 
doing that in any context that might be construed as political, you're going to be doing that in a way that's favorable or at least not adversarial to Putin and the regime. So I don't look at that and say, oh, this necessarily proves that she was working for the Russian government all along. I I don't think it's dispositive, but I, I think there are a lot of scenarios under which she might have gone back not quite knowing what opportunities she had in front of her, saw this as one that was mutually beneficial to her and the Russian government or state media, and they're they're taking advantage of each other. But I don't think this was some preordained outcome. But Pete, do you see a through line in the activity? I mean, it to me, the only surprising thing in her behavior is that she told Celia she wants a quiet life in Siberia and to be a school teacher. If you would, after watching what Anna Chapman did, you know, and reading the the text messages and what she was doing in the United States, if you had asked me, what is Maria Butina going to do when she gets deported? I would have described something awfully close to this. What I would not have described was the either self-delusional or disingenuous representations that she wanted something to the contrary. I I agree with that. I I don't, you know, who among us haven't, you know, said, oh, I just want to get away from it all and go live by a lake, whether you mean it or not. But, uh, you know, in her case, I think all of her behavior, I mean, go back to when she, before she even came to the U.S. and, you know, she was getting involved in the gun rights movement within Russia. I mean, it was clear that she was bright, ambitious, wanted to be in the public eye, wanted to be politically involved. And so, you know, that was her, that was her behavior in Russia. That was her behavior when she came to the United States. And it doesn't surprise me at all that that is her behavior when upon return to Russia. So, you know, to the extent she was trying to, you know, seriously portray any desire to simply go, you know, live a quiet life somewhere. I don't find that credible either, but I, I don't necessarily think that means that Celia can speak to that interaction conversation, obviously far better than I can. I don't think it's necessarily indicative of her, you know, trying to lie and play anybody as much as it might just be, oh, I, you know, I've been in jail. It sucks. I just want to go be quiet. And, you know, really when you get past that initial conversation, understand that she's a very, you know, ambitious, driven, very hardworking person. And there's no expectation that, you know, her past you know, seeing what we saw in her past 10 years, that the next 20 aren't are going to be any different. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great, great answer, Pete. And I think that's, that's right. I mean, I, I, I don't, I genuinely don't believe Maria was trying to be deceptive with that answer or lie to me. I, I, I think it's fascinating to see how her life has unfolded since. But I also think, you know, and this goes back again to my, my question always, which is motivations. And, you know, I, <laughs> Maria likes to say, I'm no Mother Teresa. Maria is not Mother Teresa. But I, I, as someone approaching this story, wanted to be sure I could separate that from, you know, do you like the way Maria lives her life is separate from the question of what crimes did she perpetrate? What is she guilty of? And sometimes, you know, we've talked about sort of just three-dimensional human beings in this a bunch, but sometimes it's hard for us to do that, to, to see people as complicated individuals and not just lump it all together as, you know, oh, sure, determine how you feel about Maria Butina based on the indictment, based on what she was charged with. Don't determine how you feel about Maria Butina based on the fact that she's working for RT or she's, you know, posing in GQ in, in glossy magazine spreads. You know, I, I hope that we can we can be better than that. <laughs> Although I actually think the I, I, I would distinguish between the two things that you just flagged. I think I guess that's true. Yes, RT's a little a little different. Yes. I think you know, pose, posing in GQ is something that, you know, lots of people do. Working for RT is to make a decision to work for an entity that the U.S. government regards as an agent of a foreign principle covered by the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Now, RT contests that, but it has registered. And I think that, you know, again, when I say that there's a through line, which is doing well for yourself by essentially being, you know, helping your country with its propaganda efforts, I do think working for RT is part of that through line, no? Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think, you know, you're right in that they're not they're not comparable and RT is not 
is not even Fox News. I mean, RT is is beyond anything we we really have here. But I do think, you know, my my point was more to the fact that I, I hope we don't that we look at the facts of the case and not, you know, so much of the Maria story does get tied up in what she looks like, who she's dating, and and I think we we both are not being fair to the human being of Maria, but we're also not not doing the work we need to do, which is to interrogate the case itself and and figure out what what lives there. And we get distracted. I think, you know, I'm 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 grateful that there are a lot of people. You know, Pete said it. There were no dummies on this. <laughs> there were a lot of smart people who 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 talked through this case with me, and I was really grateful for that. So I want to talk about two of the, I, I was going to say ancillary characters, but they are also the romantic interests. And I want to talk about them not because of the romantic qualities of their interactions with Maria, but because of their own side hustles. So Paul Erickson, who is the Republican operative who Maria dates for much of the period that she is in the United States, gets indicted not for his activities with Maria, but for basically being a con man and hustling people out of quite a bit of money with the promise of a robotics to help uh, disabled people. And Patrick Byrne, the uh, highly eccentric CEO of Overstock.com, ends up as one of the, along with, you know, the My Pillow guy and uh, Sidney Powell, ends up in one of the sort of conspiracy theorists who is trying to overturn the 2020 election and, and urging the president to do so. Patrick also has a bunch of conspiracy theories about Pete Strzok. I guess there's the distraction caused by the sort of femme fatale quality that the press found in Maria Butina. But there's also the distraction of the fact that these people that she's hanging out with are up to crazy stuff. And a lot of it ties back to the behavior of Donald Trump, which is to say Trump ultimately pardons Erickson and Patrick Byrne ends up in the White House meeting urging the president to basically declare martial law and overturn the election. And so I guess you kind of talk about this in the podcast, but I guess the part of it that troubles me is, you know, she does seem to have associated herself in pretty deep ways with people whose you know, whose engagement with American politics do seem to be on the side of subverting it. And I'm wondering if that is, you know, at the end of the day, the fact that one of her boyfriends is getting a last minute night of before he leaves office pardon from Donald Trump for bilking people of a lot of money. And another one is trying to get the president to overturn the election. Whether that in any way should color how we understand her own activities? It's an interesting question. You know, I think uh, Paul and Patrick, Paul obviously is not in the podcast, but part of his story is in the podcast. First, there's Patrick and there's Paul. And the other person, entity that you didn't bring up that I think is important here is the NRA, who we went into a little bit uh, in the podcast, but I think there's a lot more there to talk about. Interestingly, Maria is now very anti-NRA. Um, I think it's also worth noting that Maria found out she was being conned by Paul Erickson when she was in prison. And I do believe that. I do believe that Maria wasn't aware of the degree to which Paul was, you know, stealing money from people, stealing money from her potentially. I do believe that. And I, I also think, I think it does color it. I think it's worth looking at the people Maria spent time with. I also think it's worth looking at the people Maria didn't spend time with. You know, I always think Maria had a lot of access to a lot of more, a lot of more influential men than Paul Erickson. 
you know, she she chose Paul Erickson, which is a bizarre move to me if if you're trying to get information and power because he's not the guy that's going to get it for you. I think Maria really had feelings for Paul Erickson. I think she really did love him. But again, I think Maria used people and was used by people. Patrick Burns says he used Maria Butina. I also think Maria Butina probably used Patrick a little bit. So yes, I think it's it's always worth, you know, you can't view anything in a vacuum. Um, I think it's worth looking at the people she spent time with, what their causes were, who they were, how they were connected to Trump, what they were doing. But equally, you know, I tried to think through and, and want to be thinking through, okay, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm as a woman, I'm, I'm always looking for the double standard as well. I'm always looking for the, would we be talking about who Patrick Byrne was dating and not who Maria was dating, you know, the other way around. But I, I don't want to oversimplify it because I don't think it's as simple as that. Um, I do think that both Patrick and Paul are, are, are people with a lot of big opinions about specific things. And it's not incidental. You know, it, it's, it's easy to say if Maria wasn't Russian, if her cause wasn't guns, we wouldn't see this the same. If her cause was climate change and she was French, which is a, you know, a dichotomy that sometimes is, is brought up. And on the one hand, I think that's true. We probably wouldn't view her the same. But equally, it's true for a reason, because being Russian means something different than being French in, in, you know, when looking from an intelligence perspective. And the NRA and guns is something different than climate change as a cause. Um, so I think, yes, I think we have to look at it like we have to look at every other part of this case. Pete, are there a hundred French Maria Boutinas running around that we don't care about because they're representing they're acting on behalf of the sort of French equivalent of Alexander Torshin, who cares about climate change. Is I mean, is that a is that a a plausible defense of her that there's something selective about this, or is this a situation where you just look at it and say, in the context of what the IRA, the the Internet Research Agency, was doing, in the context of Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear? no competent FBI would not have been concerned about, you know, the 951 implications of what Maria Boutineau was up to. I think it's entirely contingent on the impact on U.S. national security. And and that gives it a whole different flavor. I mean, look, if there's somebody who's, you know, acting as an agent for a French individual affiliated with the French government who's trying to get some preferential discussion about carbon offsets for Airbus. You know, is that important to US industry? Sure. But is it, you know, does it pose the same threat to the national security of the United States as somebody doing that on behalf of a government who's just attacked our elections in 2016 and then 18 and about to do it again in 2020? No, it's a, it's a radically different proposition. And when you're resource limited, you know, like the FBI and most everybody in the government is, and you have to prioritize which threats you're going to work. You know, the person who is trying to introduce members of the Russian government to the president's son, who is um, has a relationship with the person who ends up in the Oval Office on the eve of the uh, the vote certification, advocating uh, along with Mike Flynn for martial law to be imposed so we can recount the vote. You know, that's a pretty significant threat of a qualitatively different nature than you know, some French agent out there doesn't mean that, you know, so is that selective enforcement of the law selective in the sense that we can't enforce and investigate all things at all times? Sure. But it doesn't minimize it uh, or make it inappropriate in my mind at all. But isn't it also the case that when the French government wants to influence something, it is unembarrassed about it enough that it has lobbying firms that are registered foreign agents on behalf of the EU or the government of France. And, uh, you know, that's half of half of K Street is engaged in some sense on behalf of of interests. And you don't need a Maria Boutina if you're France, right? I don't know that I'd say that. I mean, look, I think in general, Western democracies tend to treat each other with a certain level of... Uh, deference to international law and the the kind of sovereign laws of the United States in this case, but I, it would not be 
above or beyond. I would not be surprised if any foreign nation outside of the five eyes would be caught engaged in some unregistered agent working on behalf of their interests. And, you know, certainly you can think of like, you know, take a step away from Europe and look at, you know, Turkey or look at some of the Middle Eastern nations. I mean, this stuff goes on quite a bit. And yeah, there are a ton of people who are registered agents, but there are a lot of people walking in that gray area because everybody's got an angle to work. So I think this was of particular national security importance because it's Russia, but I don't think unregistered foreign agents exist as a threat merely in the context of those who are working for Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, you know, whoever, Cuba, whoever. Um, I think it can be a much broader issue than that. Celia, have you had any contact with Maria Butina since the podcast came out? And if so, what does she think of it? I have not had much. Um, I originally, she couldn't get access to it in Russia. So I was sending her the wave file versions of it. I sent her, I think, one and two. And then I found out that, well, she didn't ask for more. Um, and I, I heard she managed to get access to it a different way. I've heard from her lawyer that she's not upset by it. <laughs> I think if I, I think if Maria was upset I would hear about it. I, I don't think Maria is necessarily happy about it either. But I think, you know, I I met Maria two years ago. I, you know, I, I did, gosh, probably 30 hours of interviews with Maria. And Maria knew what she was doing. And I think she was probably, she's smart. She was probably well aware that this wasn't going to be a I love Maria six episodes. Um, and it was going to be a hard look. And so, you know, we, Maria and I are not friends, you know, we're not catching up over how our day was. I'm not sure if we met in another scenario, if we would be friends. I, I don't know that we're that, that similar. And in some ways, actually, we're, we're very similar, but I think in sort of a, a way you become friends with someone, maybe not. But I, I haven't heard much from her. And, and quite honestly, I wasn't expecting to hear much from her. What's your next project? Uh, I can't tell you what my next project is, but it is a a podcast series that comes out at the end of this year uh, that also has a complicated human being at the heart of it. We will await it with great interest, and I hope you'll come back and join us if it is within Lawfare's ambit to discuss it as well. Thank you very much. I'm I'm looking forward to putting it out into the world and seeing, seeing what happens this time. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode is Ian Enright of Goat Rodeo. You need to do your part to promote the Lawfare Podcast. Share us on all the socials. Leave a rating or review wherever you found us. Buy our merch at thelawfarestore.com. The Lawfare Podcast is produced and edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is, of course, performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening.